kid. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Eisenberg. And today I am joined by a fantastic father and son team, Daryl and Adam Moreau. And I'm going to let them share a little bit about their backgrounds in a moment. But I wanted to share a story about why I got so fascinated with what they're doing. And it comes from a time when I was at a AAA game with my son, Sammy. And we're standing by visitor bullpen and in Nashville's in town. And the pitcher, Tim Dillard, was in the dugout. And we're talking to him. And there are a bunch of guys there. We see the bands and we see the plyo bowls. And we ask him about all this stuff. And he basically look. I've never used any of that stuff. I've never used that stuff to gain velocity. I've never used that stuff to keep my arm healthy. He said, I've been pitching for 18 years professionally. Who knows how many years not professionally. And he said, I've done one thing to keep my arm healthy all these years. He said, there are these little balls. They're the TheraBand exercise balls. We bought a bunch of them, different densities. He kept one in his car, one in his bag. He would keep one on his nightstand. In any opportunity he had, he'd go and he'd squeeze it because he was trying to strengthen his forearm, right? Daryl, you and I are old enough to remember Steve Garvey, those Popeye forearms, right? Forearm, forearms matter. When I came across what you guys were doing with looking at grip strength, I realized, oh, wow, this is interesting. You're taking it to a whole different level because I've known since my Pelotero days how important grip strength is when we first started doing the testing and we noticed direct correlations between exit velocity and grip strength, right? Nobody who's hitting over 100 mile per hour exit below wasn't squeezing at least 125 on a dynamometer, right? It just wasn't happening. What got you there saying, hey, this is not enough. We could do better. Because I know you both have a background, obviously in the game. So could you share? Yeah, I'll actually take it. So right now y'all are hearing from the younger part of the duo, just as bald, but just as young or much younger. I was a baseball player, unlike Daryl, who was the basketball player of the group. I had big league dream like any other kid. Played at a couple different colleges, sadly blew out my shoulder. I was an infielder, but it kind of sidetracked my big league dreams. Once I realized I was stuck as being an above average five foot 11 first baseman that didn't have the power of all the guys I was watching on TV, I needed to figure out something else with my career. And like any other baseball player that wants to stay in the game, it's do I coach athletes or do I train athletes? And I elected to go the training route. That's where I was always passionate was the science side of things, working with the data, working in the nitty gritty with athletes, whether it's in the cage, whether it's in the bullpen or in the weight room. Being strength and conditioning background, I have my CSCS at this point, and it's really something I wanted to dive into. So when I finished playing in California, turned down a couple indie ball contracts, went to New Orleans and opened up a facility with Daryl. The New Orleans Sports Performance Institute is what we called it. And we started pulling guys from everywhere. We started working with a local junior college. And we knew right away without the 
awesome name of being able to say Adam Morrow, Major League Baseball player. It was Adam Morrow, baseball player, with Daryl Morrow, ex-college basketball player, who has worked in the business side of healthcare for however many years. So we're two black sheep in this industry that's being run by so many people with these awesome degrees. And where we decided to find our niche was in the science. So with that, we turned into just diving in every article we could. And one of the first things that we fell into was grip strength and its correlation to athletic performance. So we fell down the same rabbit hole as you with grip strength to exit velocity. We looked at it with pitching as well. There were studies that had been performed in a Taiwanese little league that were astronomical with the correlation between grip strength and throwing velocity. Almost the same as breathing to being alive. It was a 0.91 correlation between grip strength and throwing velocity in these kids ages 6 to 16. So we took that and we tested it on junior college pitchers. We came out with a 0.65 correlation. So not quite as high, but these guys have gone through maturity. They're adults at this point. So certain things start to matter, like athleticism or the way they actually move, not just pure strength. But from there, it was, how do we take this and grow upon it? We know that there's something with this musculature and elbow health. So let's tackle this really simple question, at least it was in our opinions at this time, of why do UCLs tear? So we thought this was going to be a two-week project, a four-week project at most, put a couple of blog posts out there, get a few more athletes coming in to train with us during our summer session. And next thing we know, it's a four-year project. We go down the rabbit hole of developing FlexPro Grip. We develop a mobile app that goes with it. And all we've wanted to do is bring more athletes into our facility and just turned into this crazy adventure that we've gone on to hopefully revolutionize baseball as a whole. Yeah, no, it's amazing because you've even gotten, obviously, I know a little bit of your background when you first started, and correct me, you guys pretty much since day one, that you had major league teams and players say, you know, come work with us instead because we want to understand this because obviously nobody especially when you're paying the prices you are for pitchers today, wants to have anybody sitting on the bench. It's the longevity, right? If I've got, if I'm paying hundreds of millions for my star, Jacob DeGrom is a great example, right? He pitched 11 games last year. And as Steve Cohen, if I'm the, if I'm the Mets owner, I've got to say, okay, you know what? He's the best. No, I'm not going to argue that. But it's 11 games enough to justify whatever we're going to pay him. The year before that, they the, the Astros paid Justin Verlander thirty-seven billion to not throw a pitch. Arguably, best pitcher in the game, right? Cy Young Award winner. And they're paying him thirty-seven million dollars to not throw a pitch because he's torn his UCL and recovering from TJ. But, but I want to talk about this because obviously grip strength and what you guys are doing and the protocols have some ability to obviously reduce injury risk, which is great. But there's also a performance side to this that I don't think people understand. So besides miss, not missing days, from what I understand from everything you fucking, you know, what you're doing, and I want you to go into in a little bit detail about how 
the flexible grip actually works because it's different than I take a dynamometer and I can squeeze it or I some more expensive ones that I squeeze and I can squeeze it fast. Different angles, I can do that. But that's testing one thing versus what you guys are doing. And how that impacts the free flexor muscles that protect the UCL, as well as the finger strength, because that matters in what you do. Can you share a little bit more about that, Dale? Sure. So there's no question, as Adam said, we originally went down this pathway, really first trying to answer a question as to why UCLs tear. Then once we felt like we had a really clear understanding of that, then we wanted, then we had this epiphany, gee, if this is why UCL tear, UCLs tear, maybe we can reverse engineer this into developing a device that will prevent this from happening, which I know we'll get into a little bit later, but probably... I would say maybe halfway this pathway, as Adam said, we're a research nerds, so we're always looking at studies. We're always talking to study authors and orthopedic surgeons and sports medicine physicians and the like to make sure that what we think we hear or see is spot on and it matches the science. And there was an article that we found, Glenn Fleissig, Dr. James Andrews, chief biomechanist, was a co-author on a study, and there what they specifically looked at is the amount of force or finger pressure pitchers were applying to a baseball at the point of release. Fascinating study. We can put it down in your show notes if you want to see it. But what they did it, court out a baseball, put four sensors in a baseball, and had a bunch of college pitchers throw a baseball. And then they just wanted to see what was happening to force on the fingertips at the point of release. We saw this and we had this epiphany. So it's like, We've already created this device that we know we can measure finger pressures. As you said, you hold up a dynamometer, and essentially we have a we have probably the world's most, I would say, sophisticated dynamometer because we're not just measuring dynamo dynamometry across four fingers. We can do it at each individual finger and at each individual finger joint. But then we had a long discussion with our electronics engineer, and we said, well, gee. If we know that the way in this particular article, what they identified is the way someone releases a baseball ultimately impacts spin, spin creates movement. And they were able to identify exactly what peak finger forces on a baseball were causing ball movement. And we said, well, gee, how difficult would it be with our device to not only measure force, but to measure force over time? And once we found out a mechanism in which we could measure what we refer to as the rate of force development or the speed and the amount of force that someone can apply in very short bursts of time, we thought, whoa, wait a second here. So and is largely a function of the amount of finger force someone applied to baseball at release as the ball is releasing out of the hand. And we can measure how fast someone can apply that force, and then we can train someone to be able to apply more force, wouldn't that translate into us being able to impact spin rates on a baseball? So we created prototypes to measure that and test it, and we started doing it. And the things that we found out about that for us were just, they blew our mind. So then to vet it, we just started talking to some people in some very high levels of baseball and their reaction was probably even more dynamic, if you will, than ours. I can't even use the words that some of them 
people were saying when they, when they were responding to this because they said this is yeah. blanking and change baseball. Because now you can the last thing, I'm sorry for being long-winded on this, because what people said is, from a performance standpoint, what you're telling me is with this device, now you can create a bunch of Greg Maddoxes that can make a ball dive, you can make a ball cut, you can make a ball ride just based on how you train finger pressures. And our answer to that is, yes, we can. Well, and, that, and that, that's exactly where I was going to, I wanted to dive to, because thinking about it from this perspective, we could take two pitchers with identical pitch velocities, right? Identical pitch grip, but completely different movement profiles. And everybody goes, okay. Like, how did that happen? I don't know. One of the things, like with my son, is he goes and he throws his fastball, and 85 at the time, the last time I got him on a Rapsodo, but he's getting 20 inches of horizontal run. And he's got ridiculous hand strength, ridiculous grip strength, because we've trained it for so many years. For a 17 year old, he's in the 130s. And we're like, oh, could that be part of the reason why? we're getting such extreme movement. And I think now you're actually seeing that because your device can not only train it, but obviously now start measuring what the grip strength is on the individual fingers. Plus, and maybe you can share this as well. I know that depending on which finger is more dominant, it's going to have an impact obviously on your pitch mix as well. Right. Yeah. That's where things get really interesting, especially where Daryl talks about creating the next Greg Maddox. That'd be a great tagline if we could do it. So fingers crossed that we're on that path. But uh, for example, with your son, so you've been focused on using your hand grip dynamometer, trying to run down grip strength the fastest you can, because we know it's this low hanging fruit in baseball. However, what we can bring to the table is starting to look at the differentials in strength as well as the differentials in rate of force development of each finger. So for your son, he's getting 20 inches of horizontal movement on his fastball. Yeah, there's probably some way with the way the ball exits his hand and maybe a little bit of the way it interacts with the air in there. But the predominant factor in that whole situation is your son is applying not just greater force, but force more rapidly on his index finger to the baseball than his middle finger, or any other fingers, creating that arm side run. I was the exact same way, which would have been really cool if I was a pitcher, but I played shortstop. So I was, so I was putting my first baseman in danger zone every single time I threw a ball because I had to start it way out the line to let it run on back. But then that's where this first occurred to us when we were in our early prototypes and I got on the device and I understood where my forces were. I was like, wow, my middle finger is really weak. Oh, we got a tie in the facility right now and we can't figure out why that kid can only cut the ball. He's the single least enjoyable person to play catch with because I think I'm going to break my thumb every single time he throws a pitch. Let's get him on. So Ty, the god of covers in our facility, get, we put him on the device. He is the exact opposite. 
three times greater rate of force development on his middle finger than his index finger. So, all right, now we have two test cases. Let's move this on. We call up this guy who's pitching in the Mariners org. He was in AAA at the time. He was like, hey, can you just see what you get on this? We have an idea of how you're going to show, but we want to know. So this guy, no cut, no run, elite ride. He was the exact same on his index and middle finger on the device. And then we had three use cases. We're like, all right, we're going to run with this. Screw trying to find specific people that meet specific qualities. We're just going to get these pictures on this device. We're going to guess what their movement profile is. And we're going to hope we're right. And what was crazy is by the time we talked to 20 guys, 50 guys, we could predict their ball movement just by the way that their numbers came to us through the app, through Flex Program. It's insane. Again, it's going to matter depending also on the breaking pitch, right? Guys who have better curveballs, I would imagine, are stronger through the middle. Guys, better sliders, stronger through the, the pointer finger. Well, even, yeah, so even we can break that down. Daryl and I were going down the exact same path. So a good buddy of ours is Robin Lund, who mm -hmm. recently accepted a position as a pitching coach with the Detroit Tigers. Yep. He was at Iowa for a while. But well, also great data, great data-driven coach. Yeah. The best. Yeah. yeah. So what it, we talked about with him, because we were always under the impression that middle finger was more of a conducive for better sliders however that's now where we take the divide because in baseball there's now the gyro slider there's the traditional slider there's the sweeper so we can even break it down even more in specific finger actions are more conducive for certain slider types interesting okay now i know you guys this time and i'm sorry to do this but i want to one thing, because uh, I want to make sure that your listeners here understand the distinction, because oftentimes we use words interchangeably, but I think understanding the application of our device on this particular point is critically important. That is, has very little to do with the speed at which your fingers can apply force. In fact, studies would show that strength doesn't start to impact rate of force development. Fancy term, which is, let's make this something that everyone understands. We all know that in, on most football teams, the strongest, if you were just going to measure someone's squat or deadlift capability, in all likelihood, the strongest player on the team is going to be one of your offensive linemen. It's probably also going to be one of your slowest and one of the ones with the least, with the lowest vertical jump. But he's got tremendous strength. What he doesn't have is explosiveness. The problem with that is the way muscle, tendon, and ligaments work, strength only starts to impact from a research, from a purely research clinical point. Strength only starts to impact that level of explosiveness at the earliest, probably at about 100 milliseconds, which is one-tenth of a second. It's still a short period of time. When we talk about releasing a baseball, we're measuring force at the level of seven one-thousandths of a second. So to measure, to, to impact spin, 
requires a tremendous ballistic movement of these fine muscles in your forearm. So if we want injury protection, strength becomes critically important. If we want ball movement, pitch performance enhancement, there we're talking about explosiveness. So we have to, so when you talk about, I'm going back to a point that you raised earlier. So what's different, what's one of the things that's different about our device versus your standard dynamometer? Your standard dynamometer will measure strength. It won't measure strength in time. It I can won't stand here and squeeze it. You're applying that force. Yeah, I can stand here and squeeze it until I'm tired and I'll get a max score on here. Whereas right. I know like my friend Bill Miller has done this. He'll say, okay, quick squeeze and what's your number? And that's yeah. that rate of force development. Again, it's not exact because we're not, these aren't designed to do that exact thing. But he's getting an approximation because he understands you need that explosiveness to come out of it. So 100%. You spent some time with one of the major leagues teams that kind of had you wrapped up doing all kinds of research. And I'm sure there's tons more things that, that, you know, that, that came out of there. But besides some of the stuff we've already shared, was there anything really surprising that you learned with the time working with them and the data that you were getting with their staffs? Yeah, I mean, there's a few takeaways. That's a really interesting way to phrase the question. Because yes, we can talk about improving spin to velocity ratios across minor league baseball players. We talked about that. That was done, it was great. We got a 4% improvement of the guys who trained on our devices in the season. Now, to me, one of the greatest takeaways, and I'll let Daryl share something on his own, is all the results that we got working in the Padres minor league system this past year was only training guys two days a week. So for me, this was so eye-opening that the fingertips and the muscles that control the fingers are so untrained that we can get these astronomical gains in such a quick turnaround with very few sessions because it's untrained. Go back to when you started bench pressing for the first time in your entire life and you went from only being able to do the bar on the first day to then add 25s to that two weeks later. And then you're on 45s on that two weeks after that. And all of a sudden you've gone up 100 pounds in your bench press in one month. That's what we're experiencing with the way the guys use their fingers on their device. So incorporating Flux Pro Grip really was low-hanging fruit to the athletes that we were afforded the opportunity to work with. And, and it was, yeah. and it was yeah. just a couple of times a week for how many minutes? Uh, uh, for uh, I think that's sock people. Right. Each one of these sessions was less than 10 minutes. There were some guys that were on specific protocols that only took them four minutes. But all everything we do on the device, we pretty much say is going to take between five and 12 minutes. Awesome. Down and I, would say I, had, I would have say I would have two. The first one is mirrors what Adam said. Brian, you've been in baseball for quite a while. The prevailing opinion in baseball is that independent of throwing a ball harder, you can alter someone's spin rate. People talk about that as almost like a fingerprint. Just whatever you, whatever spin rate you have, that's your spin rate. 
without question, in our trial, we compared a, a sample size of players that trained on our devices. Adam said two times a week for probably these guys were less than five minutes for those two sessions to all of the players in the Padres organization who weren't training on our device. And we just looked at the rate of change in our spin rate in the trial versus our control group. And to, to baseball's credit, they are right in the sense that in the control group, you can't change someone's spin rate. What their spin rate is independent of velocity is what their spin rate is. Unless so without our, Yes. But without, if you use glue, certainly you can. But absent glue or sticky or whatever term you want to put on it. But with our device, we demonstrate just the opposite. We can change spin. So that, was, that certainly was a really eye-opening and affirming thing. We had a hunch, but until we had this study, we couldn't prove that. The other one that's a bit narrower, but to me, it was mind-blowing to me, which is there is a common principle in rehab circles that people refer to as cross-education. And the simple principle is if you injure your right leg or your right ACL during your early stages of recovery, train your left side because the body somehow knows because it, it craves equilibrium. And even though you're training one limb, it will start to apply some of the transformation of, of the gains to the untrained limb. We heard the principle, frankly, we didn't pay a lot of credence to it. In one of our early trials on 30 of the Padres pitchers, we baseline tested strength on both arms, and then we only trained the throwing arm. And then 30 days later, we retested the strength on both arms. We got 75% of the gain in the untrained arm. So that, so think about what I'm saying. Guy trains on his throwing arm, and 75% of the gains, and the gains were stellar on the throwing arm. 75% of those gains transferred to an arm that wasn't even being trained. Now you say, okay, that's interesting, but so what? Now let's forward, fast forward to guys who are using our device. We know that there are some pitchers who are just going to say for whatever reason, in season, I'm just not putting, I don't want to be training my forearm during the season. I'm so focused on my craft. I feel like I've honed that in. That's where I want to be. Our response to that is, we get it. Great. Just do us a favor. Twice a week, just stick it on the arm you're not even throwing with. You're going to get 75% of the benefit. And it was like, to the players, it was an epiphany. To us, it was like, this is a no-brainer. You know, I've, I've heard that story of that course training before. I think it was Casey Fisk, Carlton, Carlton Fisk's son. He's a trainer as well. And I think, if I remember the story, he had an athlete who, like, broke an broken arm or something like that. And he just had him doing sprints and doing other stuff. And during that whole time, his grip strength actually went up once he got out of the chest because everything else that he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Let me ask this question because I'm sure as you're sharing this with a lot of the major leaguers, many of them have some of their younger kids around as well. H have you done some testing with some of the younger ones? Because I'm sure parents are wondering, okay, yeah, this is great. Obviously at the pro level maybe college level, maybe in high school level. What about some of the younger kids? What have you seen and how old should we start thinking about? I'll start with the how old. So the how old question is, Adam said, again, to use the phrase research nerds, usually every question we answer is independent of what we think. Here's what the research actually says. 
So the research is perfectly clear that kids, even at the little league level, if they're playing a decent amount, they, at as early as 10, 12 years old, the elbow anatomy is already beginning to change. You can already paint, you can begin to identify the seeds of a UCL tear as early as 10 years old in a little league kid. That's just pure research. They've done MRIs on 350 kids. They looked at these kids throwing and they could take kids who were playing and you could see structural changes, separation of the medial epicondyle where it was pulling off the bone. So the short answer to that would be a kid who's 10, 12 years old. If he's a serious baseball player and aspires to play at a high level, he's going to benefit. The way that we've designed our device is our device, our device would work on a kid who's 10 years old and work on a Cy Young Award winner and all the points in between. And it will grow with that kid from his 10-year-old to, it's a device for a career. It's the way we think about it. We know the elbow is going to start sustaining damage by 10 years old. And we know we've created a device that can create better protection of that use of that ulnar collateral ligament at every step in the way. So if you ask me, I would say, if you're a parent of a child who's serious about baseball, what do you have to lose? Yep. No, totally. I, I, it's, it's why I'm excited. I know it's still not available public, publicly in grand scale at this point yet. I know you, you, you've got hands out, hands in some places. You're going to some trade shows that you're going to be at. Can you share with everybody, again, like where are you going to be at some of these trade shows so they can see this, but also when it'll be available for everyone else to get their hands on? Because I, I know I want to get it on Sammy's hands as soon as I can. But maybe yeah, hopefully that, because that hoodie's also, you know. Cut. Oh, yeah, thanks. We'll start with this on the market, the online marketplace as well. Uh, why not just become a merch salesman as well? But this is actually a really timely podcast for us with us. We're headed to Arizona to get devices to all the Padres minor leaguers out at the complex. And that is right after this little Thanksgiving break. So right at the beginning of December. From there, we're going to hop a flight to San Diego for the MLB winter meetings. We are presenting at MLB Science and Innovation Symposium. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's going to be really exciting for us. It's going to be us plus 24 others that are really trying to push the baseball industry forward from a tech perspective. So it's going to be really fun to attend too, beyond just getting oh, this yeah. feet. The inner nerd in us is going to be going insane. I can tell you my yellow legal notepad is going to be done by the end of that single day. Follow that up immediately the next day, we have a booth the professional baseball strength and conditioning coach is trade show that's also in san diego so we'll finish it up that winter readings week with flights back home recover with a little bit of sleep and then immediately the next friday so december 16th me and one of our other employees gavin are getting on the road to winston-salem north carolina for the wake forest Bridge seminar. Now presenting there, but we're very happy to be in attendance. We're going to have devices with us because we know that's where a lot of the elite minds of college and professional baseball are meeting. So we just want to have those conversations. 
that's a little two day affair. Then hopefully pack on the calories over the holiday season, catch up, recover. Cause then we have ABCA in Nashville and anybody who ever has gone there knows it is a playground. It is a baseball haven. You are going to be completely overwhelmed and completely exhausted every day you are walking around in that trade show as well as around the actual presentations. But the only good thing about that trade show, by the way, what, what's that? I've done thousands of trade shows, my career as a speaker. Most trade shows, you can't wear sneakers in the audience are like, yeah, that's normal to wear every single day. You can be as comfortable as you want. I suggest bringing a couple so you can change them, but nobody's going to criticize you for whatever comfort shoes you're wearing there. Yeah. Thankfully, we're out of Chicago, so I don't need to wear my winter boots and my winter coat and then my t-shirt all over my winter coat. And we're back in Nashville, which should be a little bit warmer. Last time we were in Nashville, it was that sleeting rain. Getting in and out of the complex was a little bit funky. But January 5th through 7th, we've got the trade show. And we'll be inside the Rawlings Easton booth there. So we'll have a table set up. We'll have uh, some presentations going. We'll have our laptops. We'll have the apps ready to rock. And we'll have our devices ready for everybody to try. That, that's super exciting. When can people start ordering it from the website? That's what I was going to inject right away, Brian. We're working feverishly now to finish our website so that we can go into pre-order even prior to the Christmas season. For those, we have, as we've talked with you a little bit offline, got a newsletter. We would encourage anyone who's interested in continuing to, to follow us and be made aware of availability, just go to our website, flexprogrip.com. And there's a link there where you can sign up for our newsletter and we will communicate all these dates when we're actually going to pre-order. So then we can turn around and deliver. Uh, we have our first thousand units uh, that will be delivered uh, this Sunday. So we're super excited about that. And we've already made the strategic decision, even though we've gotten a tremendous amount of interest from Major League Baseball, we're going to slice that volume in half. And we'll allocate 500 towards Major League Baseball, 500 to the retail marketplace. Because, you know, we want to start making a dent in UCL protection across all levels of baseball. And then immediately coming out of that, we know we're going to go right back into reorder. And then we'll, we'll make some subtle changes, I'm sure. But then we'll come right back into that and then just place another reorder to get rather ready for the spring and summer season. That's terrific. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I know it must be crazy with this travel schedule coming on and then Major League Baseball, all the things that you guys are doing. I know this is going to make a huge difference in the industry over the long term. You're definitely going to hopefully help save a lot of arms from damage and keep kids playing a lot longer because they're working on the right thing. Again, if they want to, people want to find you on social media or your website, where can they do that? Yeah, so right now we're on Instagram and Twitter. We also have YouTube. Thankfully, YouTube has handles now, and we're the same across the board. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, we are at FlexProGrip, all one word. We do spell the company name with the space between FlexPro and Grim. Uh, Social media doesn't let us put a space there, and I don't like underscores. So we're all one word, at FlexProGrip, 
on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Perfect. One other point that I want to quickly make, Brian, that I think, you know, many of your listeners, I know you do such a wonderful service across the baseball spectrum, and you have a lot of listeners, whether they be actual players or parents of players, particularly in the high school market. We started just within the last month working with a high school who has a tremendous amount of potential as a pitcher. And he tours UCL this past summer. We didn't know him. He was introduced to us. And we've now started, uh, Adam's doing a ton of work with him, moving him along his journey towards recovery to get back and to be better, stronger, and perform at even a higher level. For any of you listeners interested, if you go to our website and you look under the media tab, you will see a heading called Carter G's Road to Recovery. And it will feature his story. And we're going to track his story using our device in recovery. And hopefully, you know, our ultimate goal is to ensure that no player ever tears his UCL, that he has to go down Carter's recovery journey. But the fact of the matter is these injuries are happening at rates that are unsurpassed in the history of baseball, which is what we're trying to prevent. But for those who tear their UCL, sometimes you want to know, okay, so what's going to happen? What that? What does that journey look like? And unfortunately, it's happening at greater and greater rates at the high school level. So I'd encourage your listeners to check that out and just follow along, follow Carter's journey because it could apply to you as well. Yeah, no, I I, I know when you tweeted that example, one of one of my good friends, Edward Cruz, who hmm. was also supposed to pitch for Team Argentina but had UCL surgery, reached out to get on the device for his recovery as well. Yeah, I right. So exciting times. We look forward to seeing you and can't wait to try out the device. Yes, thanks so much for the opportunity. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Also, please consider following us at Baseball Mentors and picking up a copy of our book, Play Ball Kid. We wish you the best of luck in your baseball journey.